0: There are times when I feel like I'm really distant from the people that wrote the Scriptures when I think about suffering and pain. When I I look at the Psalms, Book of Jeremiah, Lamentations, to see how Old Testament saints suffered, I feel like I'm not even on the same page with them. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I'm the only person that feels like that. There's something about suffering that really challenges us. And I look out and I realize that every person who's looking back at me is going to suffer at some time or another. Randy Alcorn said this. Those without a biblically grounded theology of suffering are always just one accident, one disease, one disability, natural disaster, or a combat fatality away from losing their faith. I think the reason he said that is because if if you don't have a good understanding of the sovereignty of God and how he cares for you, when you have a tragedy that lands on your doorstep, you can be tempted to think that God isn't just. Because if he was, this wouldn't happen to you. I realize when I talk about suffering that I don't know most of you. But some of you have already suffered. And some of you may be suffering right now. So, when we look at Psalm 130, I really want this to be hopeful, and I want it to be helpful. Now, if you aren't suffering, please don't tune me out. I mean, if you're a young person and you've been fortunate enough that you haven't had to suffer, the time will come when you will. Or if you're a person more my age and you think that Your idea of suffering is throwing the applications for AARP in the trash every time it comes. Or if you're an older person, you know what suffering really is. We're going to look at Psalm 130 this morning. And then we're going to look at the life of one person whose name is Bill. And we're going to look at the ways that he suffered and may have something in common with you. So first of all, some background here. The Psalms themselves was the hymn book that ancient Israel used. When they sang, they sang out of the Psalms. A lot of times, if you look at the Psalms there's no designation as far as what that psalm was for. They're purposely vague in a number of ways, so regardless of what situation you're you're in, you can go to that psalm and read it and get something out of it. They don't often give a lot of historical reference. Sometimes they do. Oftentimes In the psalms, you'll find psalms of lament, which is what we're going to be looking at this morning. A lament is when the psalmist is crying out to God. And I encourage you, one of the ways that you can really benefit from the psalms is make it part of your prayer book. Pray a psalm in the first person as though it's coming from you. This might seem harsh, but a lot of us when it comes to prayer, we're really a phony. Because we're worried about that if we pray honestly, we might hurt God's reputation. And I don't think his reputation's at stake. When you read the Psalms, you read people that prayed honestly and openly. They pray things like, you know, how long, God? How long are you there? And I encourage you, when you develop your prayer life, use the Psalms to help you. Now, the takeaway from this morning is this, that God develops his people through two things. Through waiting and through hope. You find that coming time and time again through this Psalm. Now, if you look at this uh, psalm, and I, I use the ESV as well, the, you can break this psalm down in the three parts. and If you know anything about English and verbs, the verbs here kind of give you an indication of where the psalm breaks down. The three things that happen in this psalm. The psalmist cries. The first four verses, the psalmist waits. And then the psalmist tells the congregation... To hope. So that's where we're going this morning. And I do have a watch, and I realize all of you do as well. So I'll pay attention to mine so you don't have to look at yours. Okay, that's the way I'll put it. The first thing we see in the first four verses is that the psalmist cries to the Lord. I cry to the Lord out of my depths. And if you look at this in Hebrew, the first word in Hebrew isn't I cry. The first word in the Hebrew Bible is out of the depths. Out of the depths. We have really no idea what's going on with the psalmist. You know it's a, song, a psalm of ascent, which means when the nation was coming to worship at Jerusalem, they would often sing as they prepared. And that's what's happening here. They're going to, to Jerusalem to worship, and they're singing these psalms of ascent. And you notice in this psalm, you find the first person used an awful lot, I and my Somebody described this psalm as, it's like you're hiking up a mountain, and when you begin the verse 1, you're kind of right at the, right at the base of the mountain, and you're ready to, to get started on the walk up. And since this is called the Song of Ascent, I think it's a good way to describe this. We're, we're kind of right at the base right now. And this word, out of the depths, it means to sink down, to sink down. If you've ever been swimming and you decided to swim in a creek, do you remember what that feeling is like when your toes go in the mud and you just feel yourself kind of going down? And then you can start swimming and it's fine, but but imagine what it's like if if your feet go into something and you can't kind of get up. Or if you've been swimming and somebody thinks that they're funny, is when you go up to the surface, they go underneath and they grab your ankles and they pull you down. It makes you frantic. When the psalmist writes here, out of the depths, that's the feeling he has. It's a frantic feeling as though he is overwhelmed and can't do anything about it. So what does he do? He cries down. He cries out to God. Because he can't help himself. This idea of in the depths was used in a psalm that Jesus quoted, Psalm 69, when when the writer said, I sink in deep mire. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up. See, there's this feeling here with the the psalmist, is that he's over his head, and he doesn't know what to do. He's frantic. And all it can do is cry out to God. Now, there's different depths. Just about all, all of you are dressed fairly nicely, so you don't know about the depths of poverty. But that's one of the depths. And if you would travel at all, you would find poverty. There is the depth of sickness. Some of you know about that. When you're sick and it doesn't seem like you're feeling any better, and the days just kind of go on into the next. There's the depth of sorrow. Some of you know about that as well. Family situations, health situations that are really, really hard. And so the question is, what do we do when we're in the depths? I mean, what, what do we do? Well, what we cannot do. Listen. What we cannot do is act like it doesn't exist. There are people that come into our churches and they greet us on a Sunday and they almost feel like we're not for real because it doesn't seem like the struggles that they go through we go through because we're always feeling great you know the lord is good we're so positive nothing wrong with being positive but people come almost on their hands and knees in the door because they're so beat down and what they what they want from us is something that comes close to reality I remember reading once about this seminary professor, Howard Hendricks, who would meet with new Christians. And when he would meet with them, one of the things he taught them how to do was to pray. In this one particular instance, they were about to pray, and uh, he said to this brand new Christian, He said, I'd like you to pray for this area of my life in which I'm struggling. And, you know, this guy's, this new Christian just got so surprised because he thought that, you know, once you're a Christian, you don't struggle anymore. You just kind of go on cruise control. And to find out that here was this guy who was a mature Christian that really struggled, it really threw him off. People that come into our doors want to know that there's a sense of reality about us, like that we struggle too. So that's where I want to introduce you to the person named Bill. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He lived an uneventful life. If you were a student and you were assigned for an English class to read the story of his life, the one thing you would do a lot would be yawn at his teenage years because he had an uneventful life, no big adventure in his life, not involved in politics, not involved in sports. He lived in the country. He was what we call a recluse. He really didn't like being around people. He liked being by himself. Now, there was a, my wife's from Kutztown. We went to Kutztown one time, and we saw what we called the introvert swing on a house. It was a, you know, a swing a, that was on a chain, but instead of swinging outward, the chair was turned around so as it, when you were swinging, you were swinging in towards the house, so your back was always towards everybody else. It was, we called the introvert swing. That, that's what this guy Bill is like. He didn't really like being around people. He really wanted to be by himself. But by the time he was 21 years old, he suffered his first bout of major, major depression that he would literally lie in his bed and look out the window for days and not move. Bill was in the depths. Bill was in the depths most of us have never been in. So I know you're thinking to yourself, I, I hope he gets to the hopeful part, the hopeful part, because so far this is kind of depressing. But the point is When people are real, they go through these depths, and they have to find a way to hold on. And we're going to see what happened to Bill by the time we're done. What this person, the psalmist, did then is he cried for mercy. You notice in verse 1, Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord, and the word Lord there is all caps. And then the second time you see the word Lord in verse 2, It's just a capital L. He purposely uses two different words there. The first word for Lord there is a word we translate sometimes Yahweh. It refers to God being faithful to his people. The second word is a word we sometimes translate Adonai, which means God rules over all. So imagine going through the depths and being able to call out to God knowing that he would always be faithful to you. That regardless of what you were going through that you could count on one thing that God would be faithful to you. And then the next thing is you cried out to God you could call out to God knowing that he would rule over everything for your good. For what was best for you. That's what we have here in this psalm. A person that cries out to God. Now, when we cry out to God, the one thing we can't assume, we cry out to God that God will do just what we want him to do. Some of you that have been around the church for a number of years, you know that there's a song called, God Will Make a Way. You know, it's a great song, but the problem is, the way God makes is not usually the way that we would choose. Somebody got me thinking this week, and they said, wouldn't it be horrible if God answered all your prayers the way you asked them? You know, to me, that sounds like a pretty good deal. But, but that God loves us too much to always answer the way we pray. But he answers us as far as what is really best for us, which is more than we may know. But what was the thing that the psalmist cried about? I mean, what was the real issue here? And you find it in verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The New American Standard says mark iniquities. This says mark iniquities. The NIV says keep a record of sins. But do you imagine this? The, The fact that God... Is able to see everything we do, everything we think, and can keep a record of that. Now, if he did that, none of us would have a chance. That's why he goes on to say, But with you, there is forgiveness. With you, there is forgiveness. I want to speak just for a minute to mothers in here and tell you what never to say to your children when i was being raised my father was the disciplinarian he was a guy that didn't talk a lot but he was the one that i was afraid of my mother was the one that you know she could talk a good game but you never had to worry about her letting you have it because the only thing that she could say is wait till your dad comes home so I remember one time my dad wasn't home, so when he's not home, you know, you always feel like you've got a little bit more rope to hang yourself. And so I was giving her a hard time, and I was in the kitchen, and I remember what happened. After kind of having a big mouth, I fell and hit my head, and my mother said to me, See, you're being punished. And, you know, I didn't know any better, so I believed it. But as a mother, you can never tell your children that because you don't know that, number one, if they are being punished. And what's more important is God disciplines us but doesn't punish us. One person was punished, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. When our punishment fell upon him, That's where punishment fell. And that's why when he cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The heavens were silent because he was bearing the punishment that should have fallen to you. If you, O Lord, mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If God kept the record of my sins, I wouldn't have a chance. But my sins were placed on someone else. My sins were placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I may have been disciplined, but I wasn't being punished because my punishment was born by an innocent person, by the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's get back to this psalm. When he knew that he was forgiven, the world changed for him. So I just want to say a couple things about forgiveness real quick that it's inclusive you notice the writer here says with you there is forgiveness it doesn't say you can be forgiven for this but not for that you know, you can do this but not that you can do this 30 times but you better not do that once with God there's forgiveness period there is forgiveness all the time in Hebrew there is no, there's no verb here All it doesn't say with you there is forgiveness. It just says with you forgiveness. Forgiveness is always available. We don't have to worry about it running dry. And forgiveness leads to godly living. Do you notice it? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Fear God, He is just. Fear God, He is holy. Fear God because he's merciful and compassionate. Other people may keep a record of your wrongs, but as Pastor pointed out this morning, God doesn't. You may have people that if you run for public office, they'll do everything they can to get the dirt on you. There are times even in churches when people will say things about each other. Even in marriages, we can be tempted to say things about our spouse. But God doesn't keep a record of wrongs. As far as the East is from the West, so far as God removed our transgressions from us, and I think it was Corey Tenboon that talked about this verse, and she said, as far as the east is from the west, and right there, when it says that God has removed our transgressions from us, she said, It's like there's a fishing hole, and God buries our sins in the deepest part of the sea, and right there he puts a sign. No fishing. So we start at the bottom. And we're working our way up. We cry to the Lord. Now we're halfway up the mountain. And we get to verse 5 and it says, I wait, I wait for the Lord. It's, it's something to read this because when you read the first four verses, it almost seems frantic the way he says, I'm out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. But by the time he gets to verse 5, you find almost the, the cadence of the psalm kind of slows down. It's now I'm waiting. You know, I'm, I'm not frantic anymore. More. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I help. I hope. He speaks of a promise. I am waiting for God with everything I have. And in him, I hope. One of the things we need to do when we suffer is we need to talk to ourselves. We need to remind ourselves that God is faithful. That God is good. That God can be nothing but good. I remember one time I was... uh, preaching uh, at boot camp in the Navy. There were about 1,200 people there. And right at this section right here, there were a bunch of recruits. They were African-American. They knew each other. And they were in their first week, you know, so they were still, you know, kind of overwhelmed by everything that's going on. But they had a good background spiritually. And I remember talking about something, and I said, God is good. And all of a sudden, this echo came out. It said, all the time. That's what the psalmist is trying to say. When we wait, we talk to ourselves, knowing that God is good all the time. Not just when we see it, not just when things are going our way, but when we're suffering, when things are really difficult. God is still good, because he can be nothing other than good. And so we wait. It says, more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. 184 years ago on August 4th August 1st excuse me there were slaves that were going to be freed in the West Indian colonies and they were told that August 1st was a day that they would be free men and so what they did the night before they stayed up all night cuz they were thinking about what it must be like to be free. And they had services of praise and worship through the night. And what they did is they sent a couple of their men up to the mountains and they were going to be on the mountains. You know what their job was on the mountains? Their job was on the mountains just to look out and look for the sun to rise. Because when the sun came up, that meant The day was dawning, it was morning, it was August 1st, and they would be, instead of property, they would be free men. They were the watchmen. And when the psalmist writes about hoping in the Lord, he says, My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. God's people have always been waiting. They waited for Moses. They waited for Jesus. We're waiting for the Lord to return. But waiting is part of what we do as a believer. So before we get too casual and I want you to ask yourself a question this morning. I'm going to take about ten seconds and not talk. I want you to ask yourself this question. What is it that you need to learn this morning about waiting on God? Not the person next to you, but what what do you need to learn about waiting on God? Back to Bill. He's now thirty-four. He has a father that loves him, wants the best for him. So his father gives him leads on these. Highly uh, sought-after jobs. And Bill doesn't feel like he's really up to it. He's struck with so much fear that on three different occasions he tries to take his life. He tries to drown himself, and that didn't work. He had poison, he tried to drink that. And when he tried to open the bottle, he found out that his fingers didn't even, his fingers basically locked up that he couldn't even turn the bottle to get the bottle open. And so he thought the only thing he's got less is to hang himself. And when he went to hang himself, the rope broke. you imagine the guy couldn't even kill himself successfully? He's in such despair. He said he felt like he was a man waiting to go in the gas chamber for months. And at that point in his life, a pastor walks in with his wife, and they basically adopt Bill. Now, the woman was only eight years older than Bill, but she became like a mother to him. And he lived with them, and they gave him some hope, And that was one of the ways Bill found mercy by living with this couple. Remember the takeaway that God develops us through waiting and hope. And that was the way God developed Bill. So now just about at the top of the mountain, we're about to end. And this psalmist is so changed by what happened to him. The fact that he could cry out to God and know that God heard him the fact that he could wait and wait on God for God's timing. And so what he does at this point, he just talks to the congregation and he says, to the congregation, "O oh Israel, hope in the Lord," verse seven, "For with the Lord there is steadfast love. with him is plentiful redemption. So hope, hope in the Lord." see, when he was forgiven, he, he found that God could forgive him. He could be hopeful. He could move on with his life. And at this point, you know, progressive revelation, we, we don't see what they're waiting for, but part of this plentiful re- redemption happened when Christ died on the cross. Died for them as well. So we can cry for mercy, like the writer did. We can know that redemption is promised to us. We can find hope even when we suffer, because our, our, our hope isn't in circumstances changing. Our hope is in a person who changes not, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I don't like suffering, but i got to tell you, I make my living caring for people that suffer. I mean, that's a good way to describe what I do. People are dying. I'm with them. People are going through drug addiction things. I'm there. People are trying to take their lives. I'm spending time with them. I spent time last week Talking to somebody who was a chaplain, he was a pastor, who was convinced that God was going to ruin his life and take his life. It's funny, nobody else would even talk to him. And I sat down with him and one on one talked to him. Suffering's never for celebrities, but it's part of our lives. And that's what is happening here. So there's a, a couple lessons to learn. The first lesson to learn is this. Learn to bring your laments before God. Read what happened to Hannah in 1 Samuel. Read about David, about Job, about Jeremiah. These men and women who suffered in Scripture, but yet brought their suffering to the Lord. There's no illusion, if you're a Christian, that suffering won't come on your doorstep. It will. Number two, the second lesson to learn is rehearse the mercies of the Lord to yourselves. God cares for people that are suffering, and so must we. And somebody wrote a quote here that I thought was really good. Just listen to this. That there is grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is enough grace and mercy for all. Enough for each. Enough for me. That, to me, that's very helpful. That it may be for all of you. It may be for each of you. But it's also for me. Mercy be found. The third lesson, and I don't know you well as a congregation, but listen to this. We need to have people in this church that are like that pastor and his wife that don't give up on the people that don't show a lot of promise or fruit. I've noticed, not here, but I've noticed in other churches that we quickly, too quickly, can give up on people when we don't see results. But I bet you you're here because somebody didn't give up on you. And I I can tell you, I wasn't a desirable object as a person in my teens. But Judy's pastor didn't give up on me. We need to be able to be known as people that People that don't know us, they'll say, why are you always hanging out with the losers? Because that's where we belong. We don't give up on people just because we don't see fruit right away. The last lesson to be learned is not every story on Earth has a happy ending. Walt Disney makes great stories, but it's certainly not Christian stories. Not every thing on earth has a happy ending. I mean, think about it. Even when you take your vows, my daughter was married a couple months ago, but I, I thought about this, I never said it. But if you keep your vows, the promise actually is that you'll keep your vows, but one of you will be broken hearted because the other person will die. So suffering is a reality. But everything doesn't end when our eyes close in death. There is a life beyond that's... It's so great it's not even worth comparing what we're going through now. That's why the poet once wrote, Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful. You are not so. One short sleep, and we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. I'm looking forward to that. Back to Bill. Bill found his gift. He began to write poetry. And although he still suffered with despair and depression throughout his life, he wrote things that proved to be very helpful to people. I spend every other week on a Monday, about an hour, with somebody who has been hospitalized in a a psychiatric unit over 25 times in his life. Four-point restraints, you know, tried to take his life. And I've learned from him how to be compassionate to people that go through depression. It's something he has taught me. Bill, the one I'm talking about, all of you know. Every one of you no, Bill. He's written things that are familiar to all of you. His last writing, maybe not, his last writing was called The Castaway. We're not familiar with that. But listen to one of his things that Bill wrote. We talk about suffering. Ye fearful saints Fresh courage take. The cloud, gee, so much dread, are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him For his grace, behind the frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. We're actually, in a couple minutes, we're going to sing a song by Bill. So when we sing it, if you want to, you can sing it. But pay attention to the words. We all go through the school of suffering. And when we suffer, we can either become bitter or we can honestly cry out to God and wait on God and have our hope be on God and know that God is worthy of our trust. Even if the results aren't the ones that that we would pick. One of the guys I remember early in my pastorate came to Christ and he said to me, he said, you know, my mother prayed for me all her life and she died and I was still the wild child. She never saw me come to faith. So we pray expectantly in hope. Even if we don't see the results, we know that God does bring results. So we don't live by what we see. We live by hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ that when he cried out, the heavens were silent so that when we suffer and cry out, you are not silent towards us, but you come to rescue us. May we be people of hope. May we be people that are helpful. May we be like that pastor who doesn't give up on the despairing, And may you bring real fruit from our lives. This I pray in the name of Christ. Amen.